Hello and welcome to the EACCNY Pulse, a podcast platform that showcases transatlantic business insights from our members. My name is Paolo Frasini Melendez and I manage our new initiatives at the European American Chamber of Commerce in New York. Among them, our series on the future of finance, which features high-level European and American executives from the financial sector as they take a look into the crystal ball. This episode will address financial transactions in the metaverse, and we will be joined by Gibran Ahmed, Managing Director and Head of Digital Delivery within Wholesale Transformation at HSBC, who is in conversation with Fergal O'Sullivan, Founder and CEO of USAM Group. Both HSBC and USAM Group are members of the EACCNY. Enjoy! Hello, Jibs. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Looking forward to a great conversation today about the metaverse and financial services. And so to get started, what I'd like to get a sense of from you is, you know, what is the metaverse? With all the the talk about it on the internet right now, I don't know that everybody is envisioning the exact same thing. So to you, what does it mean? Hi, Fergal. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a good question to start with. It's, It's one of those terms that's being used a lot particularly on social media and the news, and it can be quite unclear uh, what it means, uh, and it is used quite loosely. I'll try and be succinct. So in my mind, it's a combination of uh, a set of virtual places, some virtual identities, and and a handful of technologies that create new and engaging virtual or semi-virtual experiences for the users to enjoy. Okay. When I say virtual places, it's a virtual universe. I sort of think of it as a parallel universe to, to the physical universe we live in. And you can experience right. almost anything you would experience in, in the real world, but virtually. So that can be, you know, digitally sitting in a coffee shop with your friends, enjoying a conversation. It can be walking through a virtual art gallery. You know, the virtual universe, metaverse, as we call it, has everything from shops to museums to football stadiums to music theaters uh, and more. Effectively, if it exists in the real world, you can probably enjoy it in the metaverse as a as a virtual alternative. All right, but That's sight and sound for now, not so much touch and taste and smell, right? Although they're working on those. <laughs> they're working on it. They're working on it. It's very much at the moment sight and sound. People would argue that it's touch as well because you do get motion control devices that have feedback. Yes. Gives you the impression of, of touching something or interacting with an object. Got it. Got it. Okay. So when you're in one of these virtual worlds, and presumably there are many of them or can be many of them, and and that's to be determined, uh, the metaverse could be lots of different uh, virtual environments. So how do people have value? How do they earn? How do they share things of value? How how is that all, you know, basically the, I guess, the digital equivalent of money? How is that sort of typically handled today in different virtual environments? Yeah, so, so so that's a very big question. The the number of answers is probably similar to the real world in terms of how do people earn money, spend it, etc. Um, the essential premise is that an individual can create an identity in a virtual universe. In fact, they could create multiple identities, which is something we could talk about a little bit later. But you have a, a virtual identity that's associated with, with you or controlled by you in, in some way. Uh, and with that identity, there's normally a digital wallet uh, attached to it. So the digital assets you own in that virtual world are attached to your digital wallet. So mm-hmm. if I'm in a gaming world, let's use gaming as an example, it's, it's the biggest thing. Um, so if I'm in a virtual, virtual game, um, you know, and I, I have a character called Jibs, 
um, my wallet will be able to hold the, the tokens or the currency or whatever the unit of measure is that I earn or spend in that universe. It can also hold the other assets that I own. I may own mm. a land, I may own you know, property, a castle, weapons, whatever it may be are attached to my digital wallet. Now, that kind of seems a lot like gaming of the old world that anyone who's been a gamer yeah. is familiar with. What makes it different here with the, the advent of the metaverse is that these gaming universes or, or virtual universes are massive multiplayer universes with thousands of algorithms controlling the outcomes and thousands if not millions of other individuals also providing input at the same time. And the value you create is actually exchangeable, which yeah. is not something that really existed in the games that we used to play maybe 20 years ago. Right. So if you and I exist in the same gaming universe and you know I have accumulated a, a certain number of tokens or coins through completing missions or, or yeah. whatever it may be, I can then use those to buy an item off you. And that item yeah. could be a digital sword, it could be you know a magic cloak or a, a piece of digital art. Um, so that's the, the basic concept is everyone has a digital wallet and that digital wallet can be attached to um, assets that okay. you create or earn. Okay, so then, but that's still within that particular virtual world. So ha, yeah. who sort of owns or who manages the fairness of, the, who owns the wallet or who controls that and who makes sure that if I give it to you, I get the thing back from you and so on? Yeah, so, and, and this, is, this is where the technology comes in. So, so the three parts to what I said, the metaverse uh, consists of, the technology has been a really important part of defining what the metaverse has become and, and probably what it will become in the future. So the underlying technology is, in large cases, is the blockchain or distributed ledger technology as, as it's commonly known. And the whole idea behind the blockchain is that it almost guarantees transactions. So even though I may not know who you are, I may not know where you live or, or have any kind of assurity about whether you're good for the transaction, the blockchain provides that by ensuring that at the point we make an agreement, the assets are exchanged for whatever the cryptocurrency or the value is. Now, there's no central bank or central governing authority mm -hmm. in the strict sense that we know it today in the, in the real world. You know, there's no, there's no European central bank or the Fed mm -hmm. or any regulatory body as such. These blockchain-based universes are governed by the blockchain and the community that exists to validate or mine transactions on the blockchain. So Which includes the two people maybe doing the transaction. It could include right. the two people doing, doing the transaction. The very nature of, of the way blockchain systems are built is that they allow transactions to, to be executed and assured without the need for a single central party to play that role of being the broker of trust. Mm. Uh, and so in a way, each universe is self-governing. Now, what you have in, in the metaverse and not necessarily the metaverse, but actually in what we call Web 3.0 and the whole cryptocurrency ecosystem is thousands and thousands of different ecosystems, each with their own sets of rules, with their own policies, their own algorithms for defining what constitutes a valid transaction and so on. Uh, and if you exist in one of those ecosystems, then you naturally abide by the rules of that ecosystem. Where things mm -hmm. become challenging is how do I interact or interoperate between two different ecosystems? How do I move value from one yes. to the other or back the other way? Now, in the real world, 
we have mechanisms for doing that. If I want to move money from, you know, Saudi Arabia to United States, I can do that. If I want to use my US dollars to buy land in India, I can do that. And there's, there's rules, there's protocols, there's mechanisms. Those are in the early days in the metaverse. Yeah, got it. Now, I think the interesting part of what you were saying there is that there's almost two aspects to it. There's the people that have developed and are running that virtual world and determining that you own a piece of virtual land and or a costume for your character or the sword or whatever the thing is you're, you're selling or buying. And then there's actually the system for transferring the value somehow, be it payment from one game to another or from the real world to another. So tell me a bit about sort of, I guess, Web 3.0 is what people t- seem to be calling it now, which is this idea that even the virtual worlds, I guess, can be somewhat distributed and non-centralized yeah. and, and, and controlled by people and not, say, a central party or something. Is that is that right? Yeah, there's, so there's two parts. There's two parts to that question. Let, let me address the part about exchanging value first, then I'll come to Web3.0. Okay, thank you. Uh, so where we were a few years ago with any kind of blockchain or crypto or metaverse ecosystem was that you had to own a wallet that was proprietary to the ecosystem you were in. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if you were playing a game, you know, if you were playing Call of Duty, for example, or, or Fortnite, you would have an identity that exists there and pretty much there only. Where we are moving to now is we are having wallets that are or identities that can be shared across multiple ecosystems. And so very much like anyone who's familiar with Google ID, you can use a Google login or your Facebook login to sign up yeah. to multiple services and have your data immediately recognized and transferred and so on. We're heading in a similar way in the in the metaverse and the crypto world where you can have a, a digital wallet on MetaMask as an example, or if you have a Coinbase account, you can use that identity to sign up to multiple services. And that then allows you to exchange value between those multiple services. We also have exchanges very much like stock exchanges that allow us to transfer money or value tokens, whatever they may be, uh, between different ecosystems. So that kind of interoperability that we expect in the real world is is now flourishing in in the metaverse. Um, With regards to Web 3.0, Web 3.0 is the underlying technology, set of technology and protocols that allow that to happen. So if we go back to the early days of, of the internet, sort of the 80s and the, and the early 90s, what we now call Web 1.0, it was it was very much a one-way street. As a content creator, I could create content and distribute it to many people. And I would have control over that content and ownership over that content. The ability for people to interact in the opposite direction was limited. Mm. Now, when we got to Web 2.0, it became very much a two-way street. You know, anyone could create content, anyone could distribute content, we could interact with people in a one-to-one or many-to-one way, whether that's customer-to-customer, business-to-customer, etc. But what that resulted in was the centralization of control to a handful of platforms. So Facebook became one of them, Google became one of them, and I can talk to to all of you guys on on Facebook Mm -hmm. or Instagram or wherever, but ultimately Instagram is the central pillar that binds all of that communication and owns the rights to all of that content and controls what I can do. And Web 3.0 moves us away from that. Web 3.0 is more distributed. It allows the creator of the content to have more ownership, more autonomy. 
Um, and so the technology, uh, the di distributed ledger technology, mm -hmm. along with smart contracts and, and, a, and a few other changes, allow us to continue to communicate bi-directionally, share information bi-directionally, but have more control over that uh, and more autonomy. And, and particularly for content creators, yeah. it gives them the ability to, to have more control, more freedom, and potentially earn more money from, from what they do. Right, and is it sort of like open source, but with sort of ledger, distributed ledger capabilities? So, so anybody can contribute, but it needs to be sort of certified by the masses or whatever to make to make it official, something like that. Is that the idea? There is a large amount of open source out there in in the Web yeah. community, and that's partially a result of it being very early days and right. the commercial capitalization of it hasn't quite happened yet. Right. Uh, the open source nature of it is great for driving adoption. It will remain in place to the extent that if I'm in a distributed ledger community, whether I'm there as a, a user of that community um, mm. or as a participant in the nodes that allow the transactions to be validated, I want to know what the mechanism is for validating the transactions, for making the rules, for casting votes, or whatever it is that we use the distributed ledger for. So in that sense, it remains open source because anyone could be able to see the rules, the policies. How they work, yeah. Okay, that's important. Okay, so we're basically moving towards more of virtual worlds that are community-driven, that are interoperable, and that have a distributed uh, technology behind them to enable sharing value between the, the parties. So how is that different from the real world? <laughs> so if I think about the real world, especially with financial services. Yeah. There are central bodies, whether they be governments, regulatory agencies, or banks, that have the, the power to create rules, create processes that everyone else has to abide by. They have the ability to make those decisions without necessarily having the input of the majority of people that are impacted by the rules that they, they create. And that has been a great thing for society over yeah. centuries because we, we needed yeah. that in order to evolve uh, and to progress economically. I think part of the, the philosophy or the thesis of mm. people who are big backers of Web 3.0 is that there is no need anymore for centralized control of those types of decisions. Now, financial services is one, one area which is probably a good example because we do have highly centralized systems in place. Uh, music is probably another one that is, that is right. a good example where you know, a handful of record companies make a very large amount of money. Or YouTube as an example, which makes money off every single video that's watched regardless of who created it, whereas the creator yep. may make mere pennies. pennies. So there's, there's, a, there's a thesis out there that changing that balance and, and putting the influence back into the hands of the individual is what Web3 and Distributed Ledger is all about. So I think that from a, from a philosophical perspective, that is one angle. The other angle is around efficiency and automation. Naturally, right. if you have a highly centralized system, that centralized system becomes a bottleneck. Yeah. And in the Distributed Ledger world, those bottlenecks do not exist in the same way. And so you can handle far more transactions than you could in the past. You can distribute voting rights to a larger number of people. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you can execute transactions instantly rather than waiting days. Uh, and those are kind of the key differences that have driven the build out of 
what we call DEPI or decentralized finance in, in the web 3.0 world. So the community has more impact over the direction of which technology or approach they want to see be the winner. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So how, how do you get money from the real world to the metaverse and back again, I guess? So, so largely through exchanges. So there are mm. exchanges like Coinbase, which is probably the, mm. one of the most popular ones, where, you know, very much like any other foreign exchange system or stock exchange, you can buy any token that is listed. So I can make a payment with my debit card or I can do a bank transfer to Coinbase or Binance or any of the other, other exchanges uh, and buy, you know, Bitcoin is a trivial example, but I could buy, you know, any other, any other uh, cryptocurrency or token or something. That is then held in a digital wallet. Now, mm -hmm. if I'm talking about Coinbase or Binance, that's held in a digital wallet that is specific to the Coinbase or Binance platform or their network of partners that they operate with. What I can also do then is buy a more a generalized wallet or, a, or an interoperable wallet, which is something like MetaMask, and I can mm -hmm. transfer whatever I've purchased, and that can be a single cryptocurrency or 20 different cryptocurrencies into my MetaMask wallet. And then yeah. my MetaMask wallet, because it's highly interoperable, I can use use it to spend those cryptocurrency tokens in any number of metaverse universes or other platforms where I may wish to pay with a cryptocurrency. Yeah, so there's a real world case for the existing financial services industry to get the money from the real world into the metaverse. And presumably Correct. when you sell it back, then you know the banks and financial services industry are involved again. Is there a play for the banks and financial services industry to set up in the metaverse and provide some kind of service in there as well? Yes, yes, absolutely. We're already seeing it happen. The, okay. the variety of financial services um, capabilities that exist in, in the cryptocurrency world and, and the metaverse are actually staggering when, when you look into it. And a lot of it mimics what happens in the real world. The thing is, a lot of it has been set up by organizations that are not traditional players in, in financial services. Okay. Often created by people who were in traditional Used financial to be there, services, saw a gap and, and, and started their own, their own thing. But if I think about what financial services have largely done in the last sort of 100, 150 years, is you know, we provide trust, we provide security, and we provide liquidity. In my opinion, those three things need to exist in, in the metaverse. Now, some would argue that trust is inherent because you're using a distributed ledger or blockchain type uh, solution, mm. uh, which to an extent is true. However, I think as the metaverse adoption increases and you start getting into the value that exists in your metaverse is actually an important part of your wealth and your yeah. identity and the things you own, then trust becomes a bigger issue. And you need to, you need to know the identity of, of the individual. Um, right. you, know, you need to know who's who, who am I dealing with? In certain cases, yeah. there may be cases where you don't care. There may be cases where you do care. There certainly will be cases where you know governments care, central, you know, yes. central banks care. Especially when you then get into the business-to-business -business world, you want to know who's who, and it becomes phenomenally complicated in an environment where I can exist as a digital identity in multiple universes. I could have multiple identity in each of those universes. How do you figure out who I am? How do you figure out yes. what my network is? How do you figure out that I'm not somehow laundering money? And, and so identity becomes important. The other thing that becomes important is wallets. At the moment, there are a number of options out there for a digital wallet that secures my, my assets, but if they're compromised, how can I be sure that I'll get back what belonged to me? 
at the right. moment, certainly in the UK, if I have an account with a bank, uh, I'm safe up to a certain value. I think it's £85,000. If anything happens to the bank, I get my £85,000 back. I need the same security in the metaverse if I'm going to hold a substantial amount of assets. And so I think there's a there's a role for us to play there. Mm. And then if you think about liquidity and, and exchanges, we talked about exchanges, the need to transfer. Mm. And I'm not just talking about transferring fiat to crypto. I, I mean crypto to yeah. crypto as well. I still need, okay. I need efficiency. I need choice. I need security. You know, all of those things. And and then if I think about lending and borrowing, people may want to lend yeah. their excess crypto. They may want to borrow in crypto. And then we get into really, really interesting use cases like, can I lend a cryptocurrency in the metaverse against physical collateral like my house in the real world? Right. Or could I take an NFT piece of art in the metaverse and use it as collateral to lend against buying a real yeah. house in the real world? So like now there's risk management in a big way. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And, I, and I think that those are the really interesting types of use cases that might exist. Mm -hmm. And then we get into savings, investments, financial planning, like all of the things I can do today with a financial advisor and ISAs and stock investments and all of that, like all of that yeah. needs to exist in the metaverse. And it already is there to an extent, but there's a yeah. massive opportunity for it to grow. So, so to, to wrap up then, are we heading back towards a centralized system in the metaverse because we're going to need some kind of legal system, some kind of financial process, some kind of way to review and understand who people are, maybe some way to enforce rules if people try to break them, claw back money if, if there's fraud? I mean, are we going to end up recreating the real world in the, in the fake world? So, 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 so I think we might. In fact, I, okay. I, I think in the long term, if we look, you know, 20, 30 years from now, we probably will, uh, yeah. to a large extent. Although it would be different, a different type of centralization. I think okay. we have an amazing opportunity here to explore how we provide security and trust and assurance in a in a decentralized world. How do we make use of what we call distributed autonomous organizations and and okay. distributed decision making and so on and so. Yeah. Whilst we may end up with centralized control, which to an extent needs to exist, you know, legislation, regulation, et cetera, needs to exist, I think yeah. it can be implemented in a, in a very different way. And I, and I think there's an opportunity to have a more efficient form yeah. of governance and policy making, et cetera. The other thing to be aware of, though, is right. whilst we talk a lot about decentralization being amazing because it moves us away from reliance on single central parties, if you look at what's really happening in the decentralized finance ecosystem, Ethereum is becoming that single central source. A very large proportion of decentralized yeah. finance uses Ethereum as the level one chain. And the rules yeah. that Ethereum creates, though they're validated by the Ethereum community, it's that single community that is having a large influence on what happens in the level two chains and the metaverse experiences that we all get to experience as a result. And so we may end up in a situation where there's a handful of central parties like Ethereum that become that central sphere of influence. And I think yeah. we have to be very careful about making sure we don't replace one centralized Correct. bureaucratic system with another. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. No, but it does. It does seem to me there's a there is the potential for increased efficiencies. Let's face it, like you know, international payments and other things and financial services are not the most efficient, and there's a lot of room for enhancing those. Even stock clearing and settlement is still 
multiple days and so on so we could shorten that down potentially t plus zero why not uh so there is there is some great opportunity here but it is going to be a, a real battle to figure out how much centralization do we need versus how distributed and democratic in a way this there's a potential for increased democratic involvement here because you you literally vote with your money by which technology yeah. and worlds you want to live in and products you want to value and so on right yeah, I, I totally agree. It is super exciting. There's there's a lot of permutations of where we could go. I don't I don't like making predictions about these types of things because sure. it's very very early days. Um, yeah. And if you consider where Web 3.0 is right now compared to where the internet was and the journey the internet's been on, you want to compare the number of digital wallets that exist out there with IP addresses that existed in the internet. Mm-hmm. Then Web 3.0 is roughly where the internet was in 1995. Right. So we're you know, we're 27 years behind where the internet is today, and 27 yeah. years ago, would you have predicted that the internet would become what it is today? Probably mm. not. So, uh, so I'm not Ethereum is the new Netscape, right? Yeah. Um, Hopefully not, though, because you know, Netscape didn't make it. So uh, we'll see Netscape how Ethereum make it, does. But it, was, but it was a really important part of what Huge the internet part. became. Huge and so part. there's companies that exist today that are a huge part of what the metaverse will become and they may not exist in 20 years time but they're going to leave a, a lasting impression on, on what it becomes fantastic well jibs this was a great conversation i really appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts and ideas have you have you any final comments you want to add before we wrap it up i think the best way to learn is to get involved right like there's there's a lot of easy ways to learn how to create your digital wallet you know, get on one of the, the metaverses and, and start playing around. Uh, it's a bit of fun to start with. It kind of feels like the Sims computer game from, from yes. the early 2000s. Uh, but game. once you get in there, it's, it's free or almost free to get involved and start experimenting. And, you know, if, if people start experimenting, that's how we start learning and spotting ideas and opportunities to really help grow what the metaverse will become. So, so yeah, get stuck in. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Hopefully, we'll see you again another time soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the EACCNY Pulse. Please don't forget to rate and review this podcast episode. And be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on Transatlantic Business Insights. For more information about the European American Chamber of Commerce and how to join, please reach out to membership at EACCNY.com. We look forward to hearing from you.